0: at you from the We Desert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly
1: Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed.
2: Welcome to episode 68 of the Weekly Group Podcast. My name is Austin Stat, and I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxson, and Hunter Atkins. And uh, we have a great interview coming up shortly with Ross Villarreal, the host of Sports RV Show Saturdays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Rockets Wrap and the Midday Producer at Sports Talk 790. Kevin's going to discuss a lot of great Rockets talk, also some uh, general NBA talk as well. But before we jump into those, uh, it's imperative that we say thank you to our supporters who have come through in a big way this past week, and for those of you that aren't familiar or don't follow our social media channels, uh, we actually created a GoFundMe page because last week after we were recording, we decided that it was um, a little bit of challenge to have uh, four quality people in a room and you know trying to stitch all of the audio together, so we're trying to figure out a solution, and we thought the best way to do that was to purchase new equipment. And... Hunter, who joined us on last week's show, suggested that uh, you know, perhaps we create a GoFundMe page. And- well, first,
3: my suggestion was to sell drugs. Right? <laughs> well, we decided we couldn't do that. And the GoFundMe wasn't even your second suggestion.
0: That was way down the list. <laughs> but we rejected all the earlier ones, and we're happy with where we landed because I was shocked by the amount of turnout, by the amount of people that wanted to support us and, and how much they wanted to support us. I told you, don't bother with it. We're not that popular. We're not beloved. People don't really appreciate us that much. It won't work. It'll be embarrassing. You remember all these things? I told you all these things, Austin. And then you do it, and what is it, like eight hours later, we're fully funded? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. It was we
2: are rock stars. I wouldn't go that far. But we, I would. We have, a, we have a rock star donor, that's for sure. Uh, her name's uh, Karen out on the East Coast. And uh, Karen, I know you're listening right now, and thank you very much for uh, coming through and supporting us this week. Uh, we will actually work with you on, uh, I guess, renaming uh, the studios here uh, in a few I've weeks. I've
3: already pledged to name my first child after her. Yeah, whether it's a girl or a boy. Yeah, well, that's very it's a progressive. Solid, Name a your boy, move. Karen.
2: <clears throat> solid move. Yeah, but uh, Karen, we definitely appreciate you uh, for your support. We also had uh, you know some other donors, uh, John Slavny, who we mentioned a few times on the show. He's been one of our early supporters. He was one of the donors. We also had uh, a, a few anonymous donors as well. Uh, but you know, thanks to uh, again everyone for supporting us. But uh,
0: I have never felt more popular. Or more sexy. I feel like the bell of the ball, honestly. And Karen, that is mostly due to you. So you, you are whole, single-handedly responsible for how warm and, and desirable that I feel right now. And I think
3: all the guys around this table can look at me and just tell how pretty I feel in this moment.
4: You're glowing, Kevin.
3: Absolutely. Glowing. And nothing says sexy like an old, dirty University of Houston sweatshirt. Just washed And it. gym shorts. Just washed it. Did not wash the gym shorts.
4: You, you, you must be sweating in that thing.
0: <laughs> it's a little sweaty over here. I don't hate that,
2: though. Karen, thanks to you and your generosity for helping us out. Uh, you know, we absolutely love the equipment. Hopefully, uh, the sound is a lot better for our listeners this week as well, and we hope to uh, you know gain more experience with this equipment as we move forward. But uh, guys, uh, quite the crazy week, uh, you know, quite the crazy month so far in November. Uh, Chicago Cubs, again, winning the World Series two weeks ago. Boo. Uh, Donald Trump, President of the United States. Boo. I don't think that we would ever believe that we would say that. And then also, college football, a lot of mayhem happened yesterday with uh, the number two, three, and four team losing in the uh, the college football playoff committee. But, uh, you know, let's start with the election. Uh, I was actually in Chicago on election night, and uh, I was at dinner probably around 6.30, had my phone put away, came out, checked Twitter, and was like, oh, my gosh, this could actually happen. It was shocking. And I, I remember, uh, you know, we were getting an Uber heading back to the hotel, and I asked, you know, can you drive by Trump Tower? Because I assumed there would be protests on election night there. There was just one news camera. That's it. Just posted up, ready to film. Uh, the next day was a different story.
4: Yeah, that did not last long, did it?
2: No, uh, mayhem in the streets of Chicago. Uh, it, it was, it was shocking to say the least. I remember getting a lot of text messages around one thirty in the morning when I was trying to sleep. We had to be up at five the next day, and uh, I just had like the sickness come over me. You know that Donald Trump had actually been elected. I uh, I did not vote for him. Uh, for those of you who did not know, I'm a registered Republican, but I voted for Evan McMullen. Uh, I. But I guess on the bright side, exactly, McMuffin, you mean? Yeah. But on the bright side, I've known for the past six months that the guy that I voted for had no chance of winning. <laughs> so uh, at least. In, and what a waste of that vote it was, right? In Texas, I mean, it, you know, there were, what, 200 million people out there that were registered that didn't vote? So I, I'm not sure that mine was a waste.
4: Yeah, voter turnout was down, uh, I think for really both candidates, but if you look at the demographic breakdown, it actually doesn't jive with a lot of narratives that are paired around in the media right now. I mean, Trump increased margins among blacks and Hispanics. I mean, he beat the black vote by for Romney like by 2 points. I mean, it was just really interesting and he had a comparable margins with women and millennials. So, it, it's really interesting the the reason why people voted the way they they did, but yeah, like Austin uh, when I was you know, seeing the election results, I, I had this sort of moment of euphoria in Shaden Freud and seeing the Clinton campaign go down in flames. And then shortly after that, I was met with feelings of abject terror and sort of like wondering, all right, well, what's next? So, um, but- and look
3: how dangerous that sentiment was. You know, the idea that you were sort of reveling in Hillary's campaign going down in terror. And look at the, you know, I think that that sort of awful sentiment is another reason why we're all in this bad position now. You know, I mean, if you think, fine, you didn't like her. Well, people also didn't go to the voting booths, nearly in the numbers that people needed to, to have the right outcome, I think. And, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying that as some sort of bleeding heart liberal. But for anybody out there that was, you know, apathetic and they felt like, well, I don't like either of these candidates. Okay, so thus you've accepted a way worse candidate taking office. And uh, I mean, you know. I think that people should be held accountable for that.
4: Right. Well, and, and, okay, so here, here's, here's kind of where my, my decision came down, and I think a lot of people feel this way. Uh, the, the left has felt for a lot of years that calling people names is somehow a way to convince them to vote the way that you want them to vote, and that didn't work. What do you mean and by that? I mean, like, you, you, you know, the, half this country gets derided as racist, bigoted, homophobic, whatever, and it, clearly that way of reaching out to people didn't work. And I I think that when people are in the ballot box and they don't have anyone looking over their shoulder, you know, commenting on their behavior, that's when they tell you what they really think.
2: I'm not happy that Trump's our president because I'm a policy guy. I don't know what his policies are. He he hasn't laid one out yet. And that, to me, frightens me because he's going to have to do that within the next 65 days, you know, before he's inaugurated on January 20th. The thing that worries me the most is Trump is... A guy that has never had to apply for a job before in his life. This is the first job that he ever had to apply for. President of the United States. Somehow he got it. Uh, But the media is to blame. You know, they propped him up back in 2015 when he made his announcement, putting him on TV constantly. You know, he would always make these absurd remarks week in and week out. The media would continually put him on, bring him on for interview. Fox News, for example, you know, he was on Sean Hannity's show probably about every week. And so... I think the media created this monster which forced him uh you know which he didn't have to fundraise you know like like Hillary Clinton did and I don't know I think the whole thing's just really disappointing and are we not also to blame though? Because if you look back at our episode catalog, we have talked Trump
0: consistently against my uh, better judgment. A lot of times, over and over again, because he was such
2: a story. We're all complicit in it. We were all sort that. of. I get that. I'm I'm saying the media is the media is the sole reason why he gained so much traction. I believe because he was always in the news cycle.
4: I don't think so. I I, I think that that's a short sighted. I think that's short sighted analysis because you, you you have to remember that the media really. Uh, has been put on display this election as having lost more credibility than it ever has before. In fact, the New York Times, their editor, issued a mea culpa about Trump here recently. And I, you know, I tell you that that news story, and it was basically like, we blew it on Trump. Like, we took the policy that we're not gonna report on him positively because there's nothing good about him, right, well that's not really what journalists do. and the The media really lost a lot, no, it did. I mean it, it, sorry you're know, going roll your eyes, but no but but seriously i 'm rolling my the, eyes the, for the, the listeners the, the people who voted for Trump they they trusted nothing that the media gave them, obviously, obviously, and so th- there 's a disconnect here between the narrative about why people voted for Trump and then why people actually voted for him, and I think that that 's all i 'm trying to highlight are we also I going so. are we
3: also going to suddenly start blaming rap music for mm-hmm. violence in the streets? I mean look. So here's we, the deal. When you c- run campaigns, you need a war chest.
2: Okay. Hillary Clinton spent a billion dollars on advertising. Okay. You look I watch the World Series, for example, game seven. She had five ads on there. Donald Trump didn't have to pay for those national T V. This ads. is why just look, look, this is why it's a
3: straw man argument. If it was any candidate, be it Trump or anybody. Qualified, that person would be on television all the time too. This is how our election coverage is going to go, regardless of the candidates. Okay, this this is the way n- that's that's just patently false. Because look at look at the amount of minutes that Donald Trump was
2: on TV compared to Marco Rubio, compared to Jeb Bush, compared to all of these other Republican candidates in the primaries. He was on TV every single night because that's what the people wanted to see. They wanted to see a reality TV star. They didn't care about Jeb Bush, and so that translated to free advertising. For him to get his messaging out there, you know, he didn't have to pay one point two million dollars. All for right. So 60- what's your so
3: what's the solution next time? You think that reporters don't cover this crazy lunatic saying racist, f- awful things on air? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't bring him on TV to discuss those. And, okay. And so go ahead and blame Fox News for that. I'm a, I'm in favor of that.
2: Fox and CNN were both guilty of that. You, CNN hired Lewandowski. I mean, his former mm-hmm. campaign chairman, and they they paid him five hundred thousand dollars. And he's just a surrogate on CNN. So you have the two biggest news networks, Fox, who brings Trump in all the time, and then Lewandowski, who's the spokesperson for Trump. So the media is to blame
3: for this election. I think they, Don't have, to have, the I think they have to play some... Some factor here. Well, now you went from saying it's the media's fault, to now you're saying they played some factor. Yes, because it's it's advertising
2: dollars that Trump did not have to spend because either Lewandowski or himself were on TV. Fine, every but
0: that's not night. get you
3: know that's that's not. a
0: larger problem with the journalism industry in general. Though we both work for a newspaper, right? You're a little higher up on the food chain than I am, Hunter. You know, but uh, but still, same basic organization, same basic principles. What we're talking about is like getting clicks, right? That's what's digital first, exactly. Making sure people click on these. The whole industry is changing, and I'm fearful of it. You know. Uh, John Oliver on Last Week Tonight did an entire 15-minute segment about this a couple weeks ago. I thought it was brilliant. You know This idea that we are no longer creating uh, valuable journalism, that we don't have the money or the time or the resources devoted to making good stories. We're basically writing uh, crap, you know, clicking on kittens, things like that. That's, that's the way the industry is becoming. I don't know what the solution is, but I do see that that is a problem, and it did tie into elements of this campaign, but I think it's an even broader problem for the country as a whole. Stop. Okay,
3: this is not getting at the issue. Give me a moment if you want to blame Trump's overexposure for his victory, for the same reason it's baffling them why the overexposure of a lot of the awful things he has said did not detriment him more, right? The people that, I mean, I don't want to so harshly disrespect people that that believe he's a good candidate, but... Go for it. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> no because no because, no, because that's only perpetuating a kind of discord... And division that, you know, nobody wants. Nope. But but give me a moment. If you voted for Trump, okay, maybe you think, well, fiscally, he's gonna do things that are gonna be better. Or you think, well, he represents some very ingrained values that I'm never gonna veer from. But it also means that all that exposure you're talking about, grab women by the pussy, all the amazing, incredible investigative work. About the racist policies in the his housing company mm-hmm. in New York in the seventies,
2: not like that, yeah. but internationally, currently fine, fine,
3: fine. I'm saying the litany of things that are so disrespectful about him, right? It means that those people that voted for him, they heard that stuff too, and they weren't listening. You know what I'm saying? It's that that stuff was replayed, uh, you know, on mass more than anything, and it had such little impact. It's, un, it's baffling. It's really disgusting and shameful. So that, if you want to blame point. the media for, you know, giving him a platform, how about also that it was the same exact source that put out all the bad things about him and it had such little effect. It is baffling and disgusting.
2: I, I, I do agree. Um, I think a lot of those uh, topics were covered. Um, I think the one difference is is that they would bring him on to discuss that. And I think that was where the media slipped up. Because I don't they,
3: know how often it is either, though, Austin. I mean, the guy was wasn't on any of those shows leading up. to How many? Like, if you had a guess, how, what was the most recent appearance he probably made before the election? Was it? Did he even go on television in an interview for the, like, in a month leading into so it? So I can
2: tell you, the month leading up to it, I was traveling. Um, I've you know been in uh, three different continents the past month and a half. Um, so I was not able to consistently watch the networks, but I can tell you. That leading up to the travel, I saw him on TV at least once a week. I didn't watch doing would, an interview. Yeah, live interviews. He would do twenty minutes, you know, interviews, and it would just be something taped. And I would see highlights because I follow a lot of political journalists on TV or a, a lot of political journalists on Twitter. So I would see their commentary. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. The whole thing is kind of shocking to me. And you, you brought up, you know, the constant rhetoric that he had throughout his campaign, and that was something that you know I couldn't you know, justify voting.
3: Rhetoric for is such an elevated way to call that sort of disgusting, crude bullying.
2: I agree. It's, it's, it's tasteless. It's, it's cowardly. But it also, cowardly. I,
3: but I also do think it debases this argument about how media is responsible for creating a monster. It, it, it also showed his most monstrous misbehavior and the, and here, here, but, to but me, there here is a difference between just discussing it among pundits in
2: which you have uh, a base of, you know, the rust belt that believes that the media is, you know, out to get Trump, uh, there's a difference between you know discussing it and then hearing the candidate speak for 20 minutes saying, oh, well, you know that's just taken out of context. So, I, I, I'm
3: frustrated by the whole situation. And you think more people heard Trump giving an interview than heard the grab the pussy coverage? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Okay,
2: so the grab women by the pussy was one of the last comments toward the end of the, uh, you know, the last month of the election cycle. When and that I thought was going to destroy and sink his campaign.
3: It didn't. Not because of media exposure though.
2: I think one of the reasons why he didn't sink his campaign is because of Jim Comey. I, I don't I don't think so. I, I think that I mean Hillary Clinton's camp has said such. Yeah, that's, she, that's a
4: scapegoat.
5: That's a scapegoat.
4: Right. Hold on. That's hold on. a total scapegoat. All right. The polls were wrong. The pundits were wrong. He won with less than half the money, maybe less than a third. He beat the most well funded political uh, candidate in human history with less than half the resources. He ran against the media, he ran against the pundits, 538 was wrong, the whole thing was wrong. Why? It was our shy Tory effect, right? People did not want to tell pollsters, they didn't want to tell media types who they were voting for and why. Because they're afraid of being called racist, bigoted, etc. If I were a progressive right now, I'd be reexamining every one of my assumptions about how this country works and how people think. Because this idea, you can call people names, you can deride them, you can deride their background, you can call them, you know, uneducated, whatever, basket of deplorables, that's not going to work anymore. And if you keep, you know, chugging along with this narrative that, yeah, half the country is just like, you know, hovering around room temperature in terms of IQ, you're going to keep losing elections.
3: They are uneducated, though. I mean, the Mm -hmm. whole point was that his leading base was non-college educated whites. But I... I actually do agree with part of what you said completely, which is that progressives do need to look really hard at how they go about you know getting people motivated to vote because I think actually look we went over the bad voting numbers before how they were down. What people really underestimated was um, let me rephrase what progressives really underestimated was just how unpopular Hillary was, and you know people that disliked her, they say, well, obviously, of course she was awful. let me tell you somebody you know somebody who You know, supported her and voted for her. I didn't realize that she was such a bad candidate that she that the entire party, the entire platform of you know democratic values or whatever you want to call them, progressive values, couldn't uplift people and get them to the voting booths. That was really bad. You know, like of all the things we're, we're kind of muddying around with, whether it's the media and like you know the language. I mean, just look at the raw numbers of where people voted and where people did not vote. I mean, she couldn't get people to vote, and that falls. On Democrats, it falls on Democratic Party, and that does fall on progressives. I really think.
4: Are these the same uneducated people though that I've been hearing that say they voted for Obama twice and then switched the vote to Trump? These are the same uneducated "quote unquote" white voters that the Democratic Party has had in their hands for years, and are now just turning. You you look at the Rust Belt, and and to me, I, 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 you know, haven't studied this specifically, but you
2: look at Detroit, for example, Michigan. You know, they were bailed out by the auto or bailed out by the government, the auto industry. Uh, you know, eight hundred thousand jobs were were saved, and you know they've been strongholds for you know Democrats for years, and they turned on them this year. I, I don't understand why that happens, but I'm looking right now at some exit poll numbers. Um, you know, we discuss education. Uh, you know, Hunter is right on. Uh, you look at education among whites by sex. Uh, white college grad women, fifty one percent actually uh, voted for Clinton. White non college women, sixty two percent voted for. Uh, Donald Trump. White college grad men, shockingly, uh, 54% voted for Trump. White non-college educated men, 72% voted for Donald Trump. And we're going to also look at the income real quick. Uh, Under 50K, uh, 52% went for Clinton. 50K or more, uh, Trump led the way with 49%. At the end of the day, Clinton won the popular vote. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. We have to accept that you know Trump is a president, and I don't. honestly, I don't think he's going to make it through four years. I really don't.
3: What do you think is going to happen?
2: I, I, I don't know that he... He's 70 years old. He has never dealt with anything of this magnitude. I think that it's going to be more difficult than he thinks. I would not be surprised if he resigns before the end of his first what? term. This would all no, suggest that he's a no, human no. being, by the way. I would not be surprised if he resigns before his first term, or... If he gets impeached, because remember, he has that Trump University, you know, a uh, scandal going on. He's got all these sexual allegations. He's got all kinds of scandals. That hasn't I'm stopped going, I'm going down the list, but so the, nothing someone. will break this. Dude. At the point in time when you're president of the United States, you are held accountable by Congress. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, okay, OK. This is right, a new all right, time.
4: All right. So let's and I'm going to go back to an earlier Congress? theory that has. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's no it's no. Like, Republicans don't like him. Well, right. And. What I, what I think is crazy is, yeah, I mean, he he put states into play that we haven't won since Ronald Reagan. I mean, that's that's incredible. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know if, you know, he's going to make it through four years. He might. I think he probably will. But and I, I think uh, if if you don't understand the appeal of Trump to people who don't consider themselves racist or bigoted, then you're not going to understand why... No one considers themselves racist or bigoted. Even the
0: most racist, bigoted people don't consider so what, themselves... what do you say bigoted.
4: about the, uh, you know, 24%
2: of Jews that voted for Donald Trump... Uh, you know the blacks have voted for Donald Trump. Or the, the 30% Muslims. of Latinos.
4: What yeah. I see
0: is resonating with people is the same thing that resonated with Bernie Sanders, which is an idea of a change from the norm. People are very dissatisfied with the way politics work in this country, and they saw that Donald Trump was something different. I think they saw the same thing in Bernie. That's why you saw a lot of those quote-unquote Bernie bros, which I think is a kind of a dismissive term, but a lot of them did glom onto tr- uh, Trump later on in the campaign because he just represented a change of pace from people who were so dissatisfied. Now, I think that these people have shot themselves in the foot. I don't think that Trump is competent. I don't think he's bright. I don't think that he is charismatic or any of the things you want in a leader of the free world. But I mean, I think that was ultimately what connected with a lot of people is like, hey, things are broken. We need to do something different, even if it completely derails.
2: Us. Yeah, so it, it's definitely fascinating to me. And uh, I, I was actually glad that I was not in Texas on election night because I had the ability to go out and speak with people that were uh, protesting or people that, uh, you know, could speak their mind about, uh, you know, um, the, the Trump presidency, which to me is just. It's shocking, um, but anyways, um, on Wednesday night, the day after the election, I was actually uh, at a Mediterranean restaurant um, in Lincoln Park, um, and I, you know, I overheard somebody there speaking about the election, and I, I went up and, uh, you know, his his name is Morgan, and I went up and you know started talking with him, asking if I could you know get his thoughts, and uh, he was also uh, speaking with one of the uh, the waitresses there, Farah, and uh, she happened to be uh, Pakistani. Um, she uh, you know, grew up in Michigan, her family actually had to leave the country after 9-11 because of the downright, you know, racism and hostility that was facing her family. And to me, it was just, you know, I, I grew up in a privileged neighborhood. I grew up in, um, you know, the Woodlands, Texas. Um, I'm white. I'm male. I don't have to deal with those issues um, and, and, you know, those atrocities. And so it was, to me, it was just, you know, she was visibly scared and shaken, you uh, at the result of Donald Trump being elected. Um, I asked to record her, um, you know, but she said that, uh, you know, she would rather not, but, uh, you know, she's going to med school next year and she's still worried about her future. So to me that was, you know, it, it, it was, you know, you, you read about all this stuff, but until you actually talk to somebody, I think that you know, that's when it hits you a little bit closer to home. And then uh, shortly after that I spoke with a guy named Morgan, uh, and, you know, we actually spoke for about 25 to 30 minutes, and he uh, shared his thoughts on uh, the results of the election. I'm gonna play that real quick. Kind of accepting the results right now. I mean, it's something that I think a lot of the nation is kind of working through right now. Mm -hmm. As a voter and an
1: electorate, how can you move forward and accept this? Or can you accept this? At some point you have to accept it. Trump is going to be the president. Me personally, um, my plan going forward is to live life as I have been. You know, go to work every day, work hard, support my family, Um, and despite my feelings on Trump, you have to, you don't necessarily have to respect him as being president, but you know, you have to accept it because like it or not over the next four years, he is, um, the nation's leader. Um, I don't plan on having it affect my daily living. Um, I don't have any ill will or animosity towards the Republican party, um, People support who they believe will uh, guide the country and the nation in the right direction, um, and 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 you can't be mad at that. People have their own feelings and form their own opinions based on, you know, uh, fact finding. Some people go based on what they see in the media. I'm not. I'm a person who goes on what I see in front of my face.
2: So he was not happy about the situation. Um, But this is a guy that grew up on, uh, you know, rough a rough part of town in Chicago and has done very well for himself in terms of, you know, getting out of a bad situation. And, you know, it was, it was a great conversation with him just to hear about, you know, the social issues that are going on within our country that, you know, we might not be privy to because we live uh, in this part of, Houston.
0: Well, he's right in the sense that there is uh, an acceptance that needs to come. I think that in that acceptance, there then comes the ability to move forward and to do things about it. I've stepped on my giving to Planned Parenthood. Um, I know that's going to be something that's important that's nice. in the next few years. Uh, there, are, there are things to do. Uh, you know There are obviously protests. I think protesting is great. I'm always a fan of protesting. I think that that is one of the most sure ways to see that democracy is working is to see protests out there. And I love seeing that. I love Colin Kaepernick, kneeling for the national anthem. I, that sort of dissent, I think, is what drives this country, is what ultimately allows us to be great to the extent that we are. And I don't uh, think that we're the greatest country
3: in the world necessarily. I think that we have uh, greatness in us. But, uh, but Hunter, you, you No, I, I wouldn't call it dissent, by the way. Let's not call protesting dissent right you're peacefully expressing an opinion sure I hey, mean, hey, but i'm saying dissent is a really dangerous kind of ugly well, oh i don't it, think it's whatever. an ugly word at all i think it's a very proud word personally i
0: i, I dissent is, is one of the yeah. highest forms of patriotism in my personal opinion
4: right and a lot of these protests are not peaceful i think that's one thing that sticks out to me after watching it for a couple of days uh And I I don't know. I mean, I think that the the louder these protesters get, the more outrageous they get. I think the more Trump voters you make. So um, I was actually,
2: unlike you three, I was actually at a protest in Chicago. uh, And I actually recorded two sound bites from um, demonstrators against Donald Trump and also one who was a supporter of Donald Trump. So I'm going to play those real quick. Okay, so you guys are out here tonight protesting Donald Trump. What made you come out to downtown Chicago tonight?
4: Um, I actually came out because um, as I was uh, watching the presidential candidacy last night, um, it's dawned on me that he won, and I was super
0: sad. And um, I'm so much against racism, and his racial remarks are just
6: crazy. I think he uh, is uh, an embarrassment to the country, and the only way you can channel your energy is this. There's no other option, you know? You have to walk and protest and any all the great things in our country the civil rights movement women getting to vote all these things happen because people band together and they share their beliefs in numbers and they encourage others and also this is to remind people that it's not normal to treat um, women in such a disgusting manner it's not normal to say ban Muslims that's not a normal thing we cannot normalize and glorify somebody like this we need to learn from past leaders who have Insulted their people so profusely you have to do something. This is something because people are angry people are hurt um, and they're deeply affected by somebody like Trump who is uh, an egotistical absurdly misogynist uh, misogynistic um,
2: you Run out of reality. phrases there. All right, so you voted for Donald Trump on Tuesday night uh, Obviously the country is kind of in shock right now. We're here in Chicago There's protests going on all over the place Uh, What was it your reasoning for voting for Donald?
7: I think you look at the economic perspective you look at her plan and you look at the middle class they look at all the progress that has been made What's going on with the middle class? Are they further ahead or are they feeling more squeezed? I'm a middle-class citizen and I feel more squeezed than ever so I'm very simple. I vote with my pocketbook I want to know what's best for my family, my wife, and how can I take care of them best. And when I looked at his plan, it's so basic, it's stupid, but it's simple. You look at what has worked over and over in this country, you see what plan works and what plan has not worked. When you look at her plan, it simply has not worked. His plan simply does work. You look at anyone with financial backgrounds, they know it works. I'm going to vote with what they say works. Let's make America great again. Let's have a solid middle class. And let's be the backbone of America. And that's what it's all
5: about. Going forward, what we need to do as a country, um, we need to unite. We need to come together as, as Americans, know what we want as a nation agree to things like taking care of the environment, um, taking care of our elderly, taking care of our veterans, uh, not stirring up wars overseas, um, so that when Donald Trump comes out with a plan, we are prepared to say, yes, we agree with this plan. We support it. um, We want, you know, this to be our future or to say, hey, this is a bad plan. You may be our president, but this is not what the American people want. And we need to be prepared to work together across party lines, calling senators, calling congressmen, and saying, do not pass this bill that Donald Trump is pushing for.
3: I have to say, I I was watching you shake your head at the woman who was saying that this is like sort of the only way to go about this. Uh, What were you, Jeremy, uh, shaking your head over?
4: Well, uh, because there are a lot of different things you could do, right? Sharing a Facebook post is not activism. Retweeting Greenpeace does not decrease your carbon footprint. Wait, I'm wait, sorry. I'm gonna
2: stop you real quick. You said that resharing well, I a wanted Facebook I wanted to let him go. Yeah. <laughs> no,
3: right.
2: You said that resharing rope <laughs> fa- hang himself? Yeah, you, you said that resharing a Facebook post is not activism. How the hell did Donald Trump win? He said that it was because of social media. And, you know, getting his message out there. Oh, so are, you, are Donald you? Trump believes that Twitter and Facebook is social activism? Why, no, I, why do you I, say No, it's no,
4: not? no, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about from no. I, 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 social media was toxic for conservatives and Republicans. Are you kidding me? I, I, I mean, you, you, you can't go on Twitter or Facebook and say something. Po- I haven't seen one Trump supporter on my Facebook, and I know they're, they're out there. I haven't seen one of them spike the football at all. But I have seen dozens of meltdowns worthy of a psych hospital admission from progressives that cannot stand what just happened. Is that I a mean, talking bit about the posts. What? little exaggerating no i'm, I'm not exaggerating these psych hospital I, I saw i saw some girl threatening to commit suicide. aren't you a psychologist aren't
0: you aren't you a therapist a
4: licensed yeah, and if you're threatening to kill yourself to millions and millions of people yeah I th- that's that's acting out that's not adult behavior i'm so sorry so get back not. to
3: the part where you were saying look you know if you took issue with what she was saying was a type of you know proactive measure what would you what was your critique of it
4: no i you're like if you want to protest that's great if that's if you do it peacefully that's what I mean. That's, that's fine. I, I think that there are a lot of other things you can do with your energy to change what's going on than just being out there and protesting, right? You can volunteer. There's a lot of different things, okay? But that being said, when she talked about, you know, his treatment of women, and I think back, who was the first president where it was oh, normalized? no, no, yeah. no, it's no a false no. equivalence. It, so it is It is, absolutely. Not.
3: Okay, fine. How about that we didn't elect Bill Clinton this time? Right. <laughs> that who, who was elected was Donald Trump this time. We learned nothing.
0: And the way that Bill Clinton treated women would be a legitimate issue if he were up
4: for re-election. That would totally be something agree. I would ponder and consider yes. if he no, were I, on the I, ballot. I'm talking about what behavior is okay for a president.
3: Well, are we also going to bring up Thomas Jefferson's slaves? Right.
4: Yeah, and JFK having sex parties in the White House. I yeah, should have I know. said that. I'm sorry about the yeah. modern.
2: You know, guys, we have this new equipment, and we were joked about like, you know, how editing was going to be less and less, but we've had so many ex- like explicit language references sorry, here. Me. I'm going to have to like, go back and find that bleep and have to listen. So Here's my suggestion. I blame
3: all of you. Use a shorter bleep because the bleep you use is too long. I want to move on to something else that was said by the Trump supporter that I also find so disgusting is that he <laughs> the idea that he explicitly said, I vote with my pocketbook. That also, that guy definitely doesn't own a pocketbook. But um, <laughs> I hate that because a lot of people who are explaining why they either voted for Trump or why people voted for Trump is because, well, fiscally, that is, uh, he's the candidate that's going to, uh, you know, I guess get them more money or save them more money. But what it also means is that if you're endorsing his fiscal plan, inherently, when you vote for him, you are endorsing all the other awful things about him. That's what I. I. I mean, it's crazy to me that people compartmentalize the, uh, you know, his fiscal approach, whatever that may be. With do, do we know, even know his fiscal policy? I don't. But I'm saying, I'm saying, for the sake of argument. Yeah. For the sake of argument, I mean, that guy even said he called it stupid. Yeah, it's and so he, simple. And he and liked stupid. it. <laughs> but I'm saying, people that claim that they voted for him because fiscally he's their candidate, it's like okay, you also voted for the guy that said these disgusting things right. about women and immigrants. I mean, right. that, I, th- and that's awful. That is really bad. I agree. You know, and, and a lot of the narrative... I don't r- think those people
0: think that they're bad, though. I think those people of think when they, they hear ban Muslims, they think, yeah, you know what? There are probably good Muslims. I may know a few good Muslims, but on the whole, this banning Muslim thing is a good idea. I think they really legitimately think that. And I know, I but, you don't think
3: think get to, but, but you don't get to... Hold on. You do not get to pick and parse... What parts of a candidate you are voting for? I agree. We we as a country elected a guy that is full of such disgusting hatred, and just also like uh, maybe that's a bit strong. People who are listening to this are saying, "Oh, Hunter, he's some sort of like you know like leftist communist." Okay, so I'll tone down that language. How about just a guy who has such a disgusting lack of decorum? Mm. You know, the idea that he carries himself in this bullying way. That should be enough to make people really pause and think, all right, I guess I'm a fan of cutting taxes, but I'm also electing a guy to do so many more things as the president of the free world. Yeah.
2: I can tell you that if he was a CEO for a publicly traded company, if he was the head of the Houston Chronicle, he'd be out of a job. I I full-heartedly believe that just because of that rhetoric, that nonsense, the, you know the. a you know, short temper yeah i mean you can't have that temperament when you're the commander-in-chief and i think it's going to be a very fascinating four years and i know that you know when i'm very very frustrated i like to eat and you know <laughs> the best thing that i can think of in terms of eating to get over my frustration is going to be going to wee desserts
0: yeah they're uh they are the best way to recover from what has been just an absolutely horrible and dejecting feeling i've had since the election Honestly, struggled to get work done to focus. It's been a trying time, and I know it has been for a lot more people than me. I, again, I'm a white, straight, you know, middle class-ish. I'm, I'm really kind of poor, but I pretend to be middle class. And <laughs> where are you going with this? I, Just get the plug in. There is a time <laughs> and a place that you can recover where all people are welcome. There was uh, it was a very interesting singles night for uh, for a group of women that came in the other night, and they all. Uh, the point is uh, that everyone is welcome at We Desserts. It is a place of love and inclusivity, uh, and it's a place where you can get delicious treats as well. It's a 3411 Kirby. It's right here in the heart of Houston. If you're a Houstonian, I'm sure you're familiar with the area. If not, you should go there. It's, uh, it's a terrific place. It's really where the heartbeat of Houston lies. And uh, We Desserts, they have everything. I was just looking at a beautiful cake they made for a baby shower that has the actual baby's footprints Printed onto the side of the cake itself And something that you can eat It was adorable It was the cutest thing I've ever seen Blue cake It was a baby boy It's very sweet The idea is There's a lot of creative cool stuff They can do for you So if you have a need for a cake Or some sort of item for a party Anything that's going on Or if you just want to feel better About this terrible election season And the four years coming up ahead Then feel free to go by Desserts, 3411Kirby You tell them the guys The Weekly Brew sent you by You get 10% off your order You'll feel even better
3: This is the longest plug For any (laughs) one product or sponsor In all podcasting (laughs)
2: Well, I think uh, you know he's got that special relationship with Wee Desserts. We got there eventually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, make sure to stop by Wee Desserts thirty four eleven Kirby here in Houston. Tell them that the the guys of the Weekly Brew sent you by. You get ten percent off of your uh, total order. And uh, you know, if you also want to follow our work, you can check us out on social media. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. I got to
0: be honest though, the YouTube hasn't been updated in months and months. So don't bother with that. that.
2: That's probably our
3: fault. Maybe. I think you're
0: going to say my fault is what you were pointing at me. It's no, like no, no, it's I'm probably saying, your fault. I'm saying our fault. I, there's a lot of blame to go around. My point is, if you're going to YouTube, there's some great older stuff there, but nothing for the past couple of months. Really, it's those other places. The weekly brewcast, yeah. Everywhere else will get you what you need.
2: Yeah. Also, be sure to check out weeklybrewcast.com. But But uh, you know, we have a, a great episode on deck. We're about to interview. uh, oh, Kevin is actually about to interview Ross Villarreal discussing some Rockets. Also, after Ross's interview, we're going to come back on the microphone and talk a little bit about uh, the Rockets, James Harden specifically. Also, the uh, the mayhem that happened in college football this. Past Past week so without further ado it's time to sit back relax be informed
8: you're listening to
4: the weekly brew
0: now joining us on the weekly brew podcast is ross villarreal who is the uh most famous to me at least the host of the rockets rap show i also see from your twitter bio here you do the sports rv show on saturdays uh, on 790 from 11 to 1 and you're a midday producer as well what exactly does that entail ross
8: um well i'm the producer of our shows we have here on sports talk 790 i've done basically every day part but i've recently I used to do the morning show here, but uh, with me doing more Rockets, I started moving to midday so that I could work nights. So I do the In the Trenches show from 10 to noon with Greg Cook and Indy Kalu, and I do the bottom line with Adam Clanton and Sean Jones, which producing just means like running the board, booking guests, answering phones, pitching show ideas, just kind of running the show from behind the scenes while the show is on air with, with the hosts.
0: I can tell you from personal experience, booking guests is a thankless endeavor that is a lot of work and takes a lot of time. So on that note, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's
8: one of the reasons. I, I mean, I immediately said yes because so I know how hard it is to actually book guests. So, <laughs> well, we're happy I feel your you. pain
0: on that for sure. Well, let's talk about these Rockets, because I think they're deserving of some more notoriety and mention than I think maybe they've been getting in recent history. I think we all remember uh, last season was an unmitigated disaster, at least in my opinion. And it certainly felt that way to a lot of the fan base as well. But you look at Harden, he's on a tear this season. Had the first triple-double in Rockets history with 15-plus assists. I think it was 24, 15, and 12 against the Spurs. He thinks he's the best player in the league. He said so a number of times. It's kind of starting to seem like he might be right. What do you think?
8: Uh, I am not going to put him in that uh, conversation for best player in the league, but the the performances, like you've mentioned, that we've seen so far this season have been incredible. And, and I was somebody who, uh, like you said, I host my Saturday show, and probably around mm, towards the end of last season, maybe March, April, somewhere of that, I, I was thinking to myself that maybe 2014, 2015 was the peak James Harden, and that was as good as it was going to get, and we're not going to ever see him go beyond that just because of whether it's be his work ethic or other distractions or problems in the locker room or whatever. It just didn't seem like he was that same James Harden from that year, and I was completely wrong. What we're seeing right now is he is going beyond what he was in 2014-15 and 15 when he averaged uh, you know, all whatever it was, and he finished second in the MVP, and then he was the NBA uh, Players Association MVP. And, and he's gone beyond that. And I didn't really, I guess maybe I should have somewhat seen this coming with the way Mike D'Antoni talked about he was going to be the point guard, which he was anyways. But uh, it just him running the show and the passes he's making, we've seen great passes from James Harden in his Rockets career. We know that he sees the floor well. I mean, especially us who are here from Houston and Rockets fan and watching a lot of the games, a lot of national people just like to harp on the defense or whatever. James Harden has always been a fantastic offensive player. But to me, it's just a step up. It's a level up of what we've seen and his command. He's a, He's a floor general he knows when it's time to score he knows when he needs to to dump it off on the on the pick and roll he he's just he's so deadly on the pick and roll he knows exactly what to do his timing the way that it's this this little nuances, little things that he sees, like when do I when do I speed up with the ball? When do I slow down with the ball? How, where do I throw this pass for Clint Capella? Do I need to throw a wraparound pass? Do I need to lob it up? Do I need to skip this pass for the corner? It's just every – it's like – it's almost like Neo when he started seeing the matrix. It's basically <laughs> what we're seeing from James Harden right now. He is just one of the most dominating offensive perform uh, uh, performers that I've ever seen as an NBA fan.
0: It's been thrilling to watch, no question about it. You kind of alluded to the idea of him taking over his quote-unquote point guard, which has been all in the news, you know, the headlines where he's going to be the point guard or whatever. As you mentioned before, he's always been a guy that's had the ball in his hands, kind of dribbled the air out of it a lot of times, at least last season. Or off his foot. Right. And What's (laughs) substantively different about the way he's playing this season under Mike D'Antoni? Because I know he has that point guard label or what have you, but what's the the real difference? Because he's always been a guy with the ball in his hands.
8: Well, I'm not sure. I don't know how much of it is D'Antoni or how much of it is him just maturing and we forget what's he like 27 years old he, he's not somebody who would necessarily reached his peak and, and like I said earlier I was somebody who thought that he did and we're still seeing some turnovers he's still I believe still leading the league in turnovers or, or somewhere in that neighborhood I think he had eight last night so he's turning the ball over a lot he's still not doing everything perfectly which is kind of the scary part is you think that he can get even better if he's working with Mike D'Antoni throughout the season and he starts limiting making some of those bad decisions and trying to sometimes do a little bit too much with the ball. He can get even better, but the the turnovers are still kind of there. But I think what's really stepped up is his floor generalship and his passing, which was already great, but it's even to another level this year.
0: So another narrative that kind of goes around is that this is now, quote unquote, Harden's team, you know, with the departure of Dwight Howard, who was a talented, if troubling player at times, I think, uh, that now it's, it's uh, you know, finally and definitively James Harden's team. I know you're not there in with the locker room, you know, uh, with them there, but, but you, you watch the team, you follow them as closely as anyone in the city. Is there any truth to that idea that it makes a difference, the guy knowing that he's, quote unquote, the guy and
8: it's his team? I think so. And I I know that the players aren't going to admit it, but because every time you ask any one of them, they say, well, we're just playing basketball, blah, 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 blah. But it's something, especially over an 82 game season where you're with all of these guys so many days and especially on road trips where you have to be with each other. I think it wears on them, and you talk to media people and just from just from observationally anybody anything you read as far as season previews for the Rockets, they just talked about it how it was just a different feel. It just felt more open. It felt more fun. It felt more like a more like a family feel for the Rockets this year than the years past, especially last year with Dwight Howard, where, like, somebody's on Team Dwight, somebody's on Team Harden, and there's a lot of tension. And then the whole issues with Dwight Howard talking over the offseason of how he went to Daryl Morey and said, I want a bigger role. And Daryl Morey said, we don't want you to have a bigger role. So there was dissent. There was contentiousness. There was – just people who were unhappy with the, whether it's Dwight or whatever, and you could see some of that on the floor last year, and we're not necessarily seeing that now. That doesn't mean that I think Dwight Howard is a bad guy and he was a cancer in the locker room. It's just there was differences of opinion, and they, the teams wanted they each wanted to go in different directions, and now you have one team with a simple focus, with a true number one leader, unquestioned in James Harden. And I think there is something to that because we live in this age where, like, I don't know about you, Kevin, but I would play like if you play NBA Two K, you know, if if right now you told me I would rather if I'm playing NBA Two K, I'd rather have Dwight Howard than Clint Capella on my NBA Two K team. But this is real life, and there's 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 personalities in at work. There's there's actual humans living in work environments, and you want to be happy in your work environment. So for the real-life Rockets, I'd rather have Clint Capella right now than Dwight Howard because it just wasn't working out. But if we're in a video game world, I'd rather have Dwight Howard, but that's just not how it works. You
0: know, it gives me conniptions, the fact you mentioned we're privy to these details of conversations had between one of the better players and the GM about playing time and touches and things like that. It just makes me apoplectic. But I don't know if you saw it, Calvin Watkins wrote in a recent article that Clint Capella, Montrez Harrell, and Sam Decker all considered Dwight Howard to be something of a mentor uh, before his departure.
8: Do you find that as worrisome as I do? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, maybe as, as long as they weren't hanging out with teenage girls or something in Georgia or anything like that. <laughs> but I mean, as far as, I, I really don't, he, Dwight Howard, I think he wanted to win. But he just had this idea, and I think this is something in Dwight that not necessarily would get passed on to Clint Capella or Montrezl Harrell or whoever on the team, is he just wasn't as great as he thought it was. And you kind of want that in a sense, depending on the player, you want everybody to think they're the best. Like you said earlier, James Harden thinks he's the best NBA player in the world. He's not, but I want him to think he is. I want him to have that type of confidence. And sometimes it just goes a little bit overboard when you have somebody like Dwight Howard who thought, well, first of all, he led the NBA in post-touches, but he still wanted to be involved more in the offense, but he, for whatever reason, he didn't understand that he wasn't that great of a low-post player. But as far as that confidence and being a professional and, and having a good time and being a jokester like Dwight Howard was – those types of things, I'm okay with him passing those types of things down, just as long as Clint Capella doesn't get it in his head that he's the most dominant post player <laughs> since Shaq.
0: <laughs> so we knew this team was going to be good offensively, and they have been. They have not disappointed. Obviously, James Harden's taken a step forward, or at least gotten back to the level he was at two years ago, like we mentioned. But let's talk defensively. So we're we're recording this in between Spurs games, Thursday afternoons. So we have a little bit of information. The listeners will be a bit ahead of us, but uh, but against the Spurs, the first and the Rockets looked arguably good defensively. I would say, and we've talked. A Jenny Dahl Creech about Jeff Bidzelik, uh the defensive group they have there. Based on what you've seen, is he making a difference in what we're seeing from the squad defensively?
8: I think I'm seeing improvements from Game One against the Los Angeles Lakers over to the last game you've talked about with the San Antonio Spurs. They're still going to have issues. Uh, I think just the, the most of the problems they were having early on are, are just. Communication issues. How are we going to guard this pick and roll? Are we going to go under it? Are we going to switch? It? And we still see some of that. That's going to happen to every single NBA team. There's going to be when you're playing, you're playing, you know, over 100 possessions a game. A couple of them, you're going to have things slip through, and you just try to limit those. And that's what Jeff Bezdelic is is there for. He's not going to turn Ryan Anderson into uh, into like the Kimbe Mutombo. That's just not going to happen. That's not what he's there for, but he's going to try to scheme night in and night out the best that he can with the players that he has. And, and there's, there's times for teachable moments. There's times where they can improve. And I think just over the short few games that we've seen the eight games that they've played so far, there have been some minor improvements and there's still tinkering to be done. You don't know, like, uh you have Mike D'Antoni inserting Corey Brewer into the starting lineup for a defensive boost uh, just a couple of games ago. And so now you don't know that's that's just a part of the process with Bezidelic learning the roster and with D'Antoni learning the roster and you hope that they're going to improve. I don't expect them to ever be top 10 in the league in defense, but there's those little things that you can work on and improve, and I think Bezdelic will help with that.
0: You know, you mentioned 2K, and I think I'm poisoned by all of the hundreds. I mean, if I'm being honest, thousands and thousands of hours of playing 2K over the course of my youth (laughs) and early adulthood. Uh, but, but, But having Corey Brewer start over Eric Gordon, if you take that 2K mentality, seems insane to me. But in a very limited sample size, it also seems to have worked so far. So, I mean, based on what you've seen, what's the impact of having gordon playing with the second unit and brewer there in the starting rotation
8: well i think they just like the pairing of brewer and harden better than brewer uh i'm sorry better than harden and eric gordon especially when you consider you have gordon coming in there and kind of being the guy in that second unit when james harden isn't starting off that second uh second quarter so it's funny you it's kind of like you have each of the pairings Probably Harden and Gordon together, especially offensively, is your strongest pairing, but then you have two-nothing. You're bringing in, you know, if you're going with Brewer and KJ McDaniels or whatever in that second unit, it's, you're at such a disadvantage on that second unit that it makes more sense to flip-flop them, bring in Brewer and Gordon. So I think it is kind of working. And I've kind of given Brewer a hard time because sometimes he just plays like his hair's on fire. He gets a little too crazy and out of control, especially on the defensive end. I think he gambles for too many steals. But uh, as far as from a defensive standpoint, he's, he's solid. And he, him and Harden together and then Eric Gordon and K.J. McDaniels together, those are two separate pairs. Those are two strong pairs rather than when you break them apart with switching Brewer and Gordon. It kind of makes sense, and it's been working so far.
0: So I think some of that uh, some of that roster shift, of the personnel shift that we're seeing there, has to do with Pat Beverly being out. He's been out, but the Rockets have, again, started to look defensively competent at times without him. Uh, so I think last I heard, he was back in about two weeks-ish, maybe a week and a half when the listeners hear this. How much of an impact do you anticipate that he will have when he returns in two or so weeks?
8: I mean, I think it'll be helpful. He's somebody I think is an NBA caliber. I don't think he's a great starting point guard. He's not going to put him in, you know, any upper echelon or anything in the NBA, but he's a solid piece. And I also want to dispel the fact that what the way D'Antoni and Bizdelic or whoever are trying to sell this is he's some sort of stopper. I don't feel like he's been that at least for a couple of years. He's somebody who competes. And he's somebody you want on your team. He's very, uh, I mean, I hate to use the term scrappy, but that's just kind of how he is. He gets under the other guy's skin. He's going to go all out. You never question whether or not Pat Beverly is going to give you 100% of his effort, and he's going to do that night in and night out, and that's what you expect. But also we've seen him get torched by other point guards, and that's not to say that the the, Damian Damian Lillards, the Chris Pauls, the Steph Currys, whoever it's going to be night in night out it's going to be some tough covers and beverly's going to give you his effort and it's going to help when he comes back but i don't think it's like this key missing piece that's going to be the answer for the rockets and their defense is going to be markedly improved i think it'll help a little bit but i'm not sure it's going to help as much as some people think
0: so you handle the Rockets wrap, and your, your day-to-day career and job are impacted by how excited you know the fans are about this team and how well it's performing. And I'm curious, what do you think it is that gets people excited? Because Hunter Atkins is the Chronicle Enterprise sports uh, writer. He's been joining us on the show for a while. He, he may join us permanently. We're, we're kind of uh, giving him a little probationary period, so we'll see how that works out. But he's told me I'm a fool to be excited about a team that doesn't have a prayer of competing for a title, and I disagree. Honestly, this team this year, with Dwight gone and all the other Changes they've made, I just find them more fun to root for, and they just seem to be playing a more exciting brand of basketball. Has that been your experience? Do you think this team is more exciting to the fan base, even though they don't have, uh, you know, the expectations or the goals of, of winning a title or even really probably making the Western Conference Finals?
8: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we're what eight games into the season, and maybe one of them—that game against the Hawks where they lost one twelve to ninety seven or whatever it was—then that game was still pretty exciting. But as far as uh, every other game has been not necessarily down to the wire, but it's been exciting, it's been entertaining, it's been back and forth. You've had uh, other games where there's been like 20 lead changes and and things like that, and that's how the Rockets are going to be. And if your team is not – now, number one, I'd rather have a team scoring 76 points a night if they're going to compete for the championship. But if that's not going to be the case where the Rockets – I mean, let's not fool ourselves here. They're not necessarily championship contenders. This is uh, about as fun as you could ask for They're going to get up and down. They're going to score a lot of points. James Harden is going to put in, he's putting in virtuoso performance night after night. And it's been fun to watch, especially on the offensive side. Sometimes they're going to frustrate you a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, that comes with the territory with the way they play the game and with the way the roster is the way it is right now. But like you said, it's going to be fun because you put Capella out there with four shooters, And you have James Harden running the ship, moving the ball around, and and just bombing threes all night and making shots and doing incredible things night after night. I find it extremely entertaining. And I'm somebody who, out of all the Houston teams, the Rockets, uh, truth be told, are my favorite. They're the ones that I root for the hardest because I didn't really grow up with the Texans, and I'm not a huge baseball guy. So the Rockets are my team. And if I'm going to watch them, I suffered through... You know, the, those early 2000s when you had Katino Mobley and Steve Francis holding the ball for 20 seconds and then chucking up 18-footers, and then the Jeff Van Gundy era where you wanted to claw your eyes out when you watched them on offense, it, it just wasn't as fun. And they were still winning, you know, I think with Van Gundy they won like 50 games here or there, or whatever it was, and, and I'd rather watch this team right now. James Harden is somebody who's a top-five player in this league right now, He's playing out of his mind. Ryan Anderson making threes. Clint Capella throwing down dunks. This is extremely entertaining and fun to watch.
0: Speaking of entertaining and fun to watch, uh, I don't know how much other basketball you watch. I know you see the team when they're competing against other teams at least. Uh, so with, with league pass going, I sort of, uh, before the season, adopted Minnesota as my team, thinking they'd be exciting and fun to watch. They've been a bit disappointing. If guys are watching other basketball, looking for other teams to adopt and tune in, who, who's excited you most this season around the league?
8: Hmm, I think that's a that's probably going to be uh, one of the better picks is Minnesota because you have that long ta- the young talent. Carl, Carl Anthony Towns is somebody who is much like people in Houston appreciate James Harden more than other people do around the country. I think people in Minnesota are going to enjoy Carl Anthony Towns more than anybody else around the country because it's those things that he's doing night in, night out. The guy can ju- just basically do it all defensively and offensively, and he's really fun to watch. I, I think that's not a bad pick. Um, if I had to, I mean, just off the top of my head, who else would be maybe Utah would be somebody who I would put possibly in that kind of type of category Is somebody that would be fun to watch with uh, Gordon Hayward, not now coming back and Rodney Hood playing well and Rudy Gobert being somebody who's intriguing as a defensive player. I think maybe, maybe Utah, Denver, even, I don't know. I'm a, I'm an NBA guy, so I'll watch just about any team and especially you know, it feels like, especially now, in the last, as opposed to the last five even six years, there's somebody fun to watch on just about every single NBA team.
0: Boy, I think Utah might be a tough sell to the to the longtime Rockets fans around. That's here. true.
8: That's 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 an true. You have to, but you have to wash your hands of that. Okay, Jeff Hornacek isn't there right now. You don't have to deal with uh, uh, Stockton and Malone and Jerry Sloan. So just wash your hands of that era and just watch some good basketball. Well, (laughs) Ross,
0: absolutely delightful to talk Rockets basketball with you. I think that you are a very entertaining follow on Twitter, so I would encourage all the listeners to uh, go follow you there and to go follow all the work that you do. If people are looking to connect with you online, what's the best way to reach out and touch you, so to speak?
8: Uh, Yeah, that would be definitely the best way, at SportsRV. I almost almost always, if you send me a tweet that's a question or something like that, I try to respond to everybody. And uh, so, yeah, at SportsRV on Twitter is basically – the best way to reach me, I have like an Instagram or a Facebook or whatever. I don't really use those as much, but uh, I'm definitely addicted to Twitter. I'm actually looking at Twitter as I'm talking to you right now. So uh, uh, Twitter addiction is there, and you can find me at SportsRV. I'm looking
0: at your Twitter, too, and I would honestly say you can probably let a few of these questions go, but that just goes <laughs> to show you're very engaged with your listenership and your, and your followers, so people should definitely follow you at SportsRV. It's been a delight,
8: man. I hope we have you back soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Appreciate you having me.
4: You're listening to The Weekly
2: Brew. We just had a great interview that Kevin just conducted with uh, Ross Villarreal, but we wanted to dive into the Rockets uh, a little bit more in depth because, you know, right now they're sitting in eighth place in the Western Conference, but James Harden is having, uh, you know, I think it's undoubtedly an MVP caliber season. Uh, You just look at the numbers that he's posting right now. He leads uh, the league with 13 assists per game. Uh, The next closest person to him is Russell Westbrook at 9.6 assists per game. He's averaging more than 30 points a game. I mean, the guy is having an MVP caliber season, and Kevin, no, I do not have these stats up on my screen right now. What are you pointing at?
0: Just a bright light on one of the channels. I was wondering if somebody muted
2: no, no, no. Kevin is apparently uh, shocked by the new soundboard that we have here. It's really, so. <laughs> really fancy.
0: Those
3: lots are pretty. <laughs> well, it's yeah. so
0: fancy. I feel a lot of pressure because I, I do a pretty good job, I think, on the mic that I have, you know, recording USB and Audacity and doing very, like, kind of garage-type work. This sort of a setup makes me feel like the expectations are that much higher, and I don't know if I have that much confidence in myself. But the way that you're looking at me, Hunter, really has me believing in myself.
3: Well, Kevin, <laughs> that has nothing to do with the big microphone in front of your face.
4: Okay, all right. All right, so uh, back to James Harden. Uh, I'm really uncomfortable right now. I just <laughs> want to say that. That's because my hand's on your knee. <laughs> oh, hey. Uh...
3: Guys, I'm still here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
2: well, A little throwback to uh, Tim Kirkson if you listened to last week's episode. But, uh, yeah, James Harden, heck of a season. Uh, he's had two triple doubles this week. Uh, can he play at a higher level, or is this something that we can anticipate seeing from him the rest of the season?
0: I would take this with no regression to the mean. I mean, this is certainly the kind of performance that you want from a guy who is billed as your marquee player, et cetera, et cetera. And what he's doing is really, really special. You are talking about like Oscar Robertson type numbers. I mean, doing almost historic type things, and it's fun to watch. I know that you give me a little crap for that, Hunter, for loving uh, watching a guy dominate the ball and just play his style of. Uh, it's not even really hero ball. I mean, he's passing a lot. His assists are way up. I think five more this year than last year, which is a credit to the guys around him and also I think the freewheeling style of offense that Dantoni has allowed them to play. But I love it. I mean, I love Harden's doing I love the way people are talking about him I think he's been that kind of a player all along it took a few subtle adjustments here and there whether it be coaching or personnel around him to kind of get that performance from him but it's the sort of talent we knew we had when we got him from OKC
2: yeah and it just the assist total I mean I, I, I think Hunter I believe you tweeted it out this week it was a retweet from the uh, New York Times article a few years ago with Steve Kerr was discussing how when, when Kobe Bryant retires that James Harden's going to be the best two guard in the NBA And uh, Steve Kerr said that, you know, watch him pass the ball. He's going to, uh, you know, be beautiful when it comes to assists, and that's 100% accurate this season. Harden right now is averaging 13 assists, and only four different players have averaged at least 13 assists in a single season, with the last being John Stockton at 13.7 back in the 91-92 season. And he just makes this offense flow. I mean, they, there's still a lot to be desired on the defensive end. Uh, but, you know, as Kevin has alluded to both in, uh, you know, last week's episode and also
3: his interview with Ross, this is a fun and exciting team to watch. Yeah, I don't doubt that. I mean, and it's not, you know, I don't give you crap, Kevin, for liking to watch them. <laughs> I just kind of kind of cut through the BS to what's the potential of the team. Um, and I have no problem going on record saying that I think Ryan Anderson is a huge problem. So throw Kevin. You got some numbers on what his o- throw out his offensive numbers right now and how sparkling they are. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you had him on. The oh,
0: board. you? Are, I, th- I thought you meant throw them out, like discard them, like forget no, no, about no, no, them. No, 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 oh, I was willing to go along that. with you there. We're no, talking Ryan it. Anderson. He's shooting forty-four percent from three, which is exactly what you brought him to do. You needed a big guy that can shoot threes. That's what Daryl Morey has dreamed of. That's why we've heard the name Ryan Anderson for like four or five years now. Even though he is a deeply flawed player, he is a great player for this system, and he's certainly a guy that's knocking down the shots he needs to in order to be effective in this offense.
3: Yeah, but it's a system that is so porous and bad overall. So I'll, so I'll explain. Yeah, his shooting numbers are fantastic. However. If anybody's actually watched this season, his one dimension is so contained. Like, he's, he is one-dimensional, which is he's a fantastic shooter. Sure. However, to have the four in your lineup, the power forward, be so slight, so slow, so flat-footed, such a bad dribbler. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to sound so callous, but he is one-dimensional. All he can do is shoot. And he shoots from far away, which actually spreads the court fine. But that, that's but the, the whole, system. No. Okay, so you're... No, no. No, no, no. To say it's the system is suggesting that they couldn't have had Ryan Anderson somehow play the three, right, in certain lineups to get a much better defender or rebounder at the four. Or if you're going to sink so many resources into Ryan Anderson as, like, one of the big guys on your court, you better have a crazy killer at the five. And Clint is fine. I, I sort of joked about him last week. But... Ryan Anderson, I'm telling you, just watch him in the rest of his game. He can't create his own shot. I mean, he's really bad at dribbling, so he doesn't break down the defense. He's so flat-footed and slow. He doesn't close out. He can't body anybody. And that's a huge hole in the defense. So, I, I mean, I'm very eager to like, have a platform right now to say to anybody that really cares about this team, that's really watching this team closely, don't get caught up in how much he scores and shoots. There actually are a lot of players in this league that can do that. And play defense just as poorly as he does. I mean, he's not a power forward; he's basically he basically plays like a bad shooting guard would. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe just an offensively talented shooting guard. So, Hunter, I, I you know I, I I do agree that you know the team does have flaws,
2: and I think they do have flaws down in the post. Uh, but you know, this is a team that's not going to contend for the Western Conference, uh, you know, this year. I think that's uh, clearly a two horse race between the Spurs and the Warriors. But uh, Kevin, I, I'm curious from your perspective. Uh, you know guys like ryan anderson uh, you know you're you're sort of high on him how do you see the rockets kind of adjusting this year uh to maybe get a to maybe host in that first round of the playoffs or do you see them making any sort of moves this season to maybe strengthen that roster a little bit more
0: i'd never count daryl Morey out in terms of the trade game although i think a lot of other gms are wary about trading with him just because of the perception in the media idea that you lose traits to Daryl Morey. I don't know how much that really counts for anything, but it's certainly a story that I read a lot. But no, I, I don't think this team is where it needs to be. I, I think that hosting a, a playoff round would be a dream to me. I'd love to be in that fourth slot there. I think probably five or six is more likely where we're going to see them, but, uh, but I'd love for them to overachieve. What I do like is the doubling down on this Daryl Morey system, this idea of you have one hyper-talented offensive player who kind of does it all, who runs the offense, but we're seeing Harden actually driving and kicking. We're seeing Harden make a difference, make a plays, his turnover numbers are slightly higher, even though his usage is way higher, which I think is a good encouraging sign. Uh, what I see is continuity, an idea that these pieces all start to kind of fit. Ryan Anderson's a guy that Morey wanted for a long, long time. You create a natural environment where perhaps, if you believe in chemistry, right, it exists. I mean, I don't know how to measure it. I'm not there in the locker room with them, but if you have good chemistry, you have guys that like playing with each other, playing well together in a system that works, you become that much more appealing to potential free agents who might sign with the club, or you might have guys that have like a trade clause be willing to waive that clause in order to come here to Houston. So I think you are in the process of creating an environment that is tenable, that is inviting uh, to potential talent that could come in here, and it just seems like a step in the right direction, whereas last year was an unmitigated disaster. I wouldn't have wanted to play there. If they would offered me a 10-day contract, I would have turned it down. That's a lie. I would have totally played. But the point is, you know, a reputable athlete isn't going to want to come into that scenario. This seems more like a hospitable, good scenario to play basketball in. And and you need to have that. In the NBA, more so than any other league, I believe, you have to have an environment that is agreeable to people who might come in. Because there's so much uh, control the player has over his own destiny
3: and where he ends up playing. I could could throw out some more stats, but we get it. You know, like Harden's having a killer season. (laughs)
0: I like watching killer seasons. Honestly, it's not quite like watching a team compete for the title, which I have a little bit of experience of having been here in 94 and 95. But it is a different kind of excitement that you can get into. You can go out there and watch Harden play knowing that you're witnessing a historic season, something you might someday tell if you have kids. You know, you've alluded to having kids at some point at some time. You might be able to say, hey, you know, I was in Houston when Harden had that year that we all still talk about. I watched him play, you know, 40 times. And, and it was really spectacular. And those are sports Buddy, are, memories. Are you
2: really going to talk about your kid? Are you really going to talk to your kid about not winning a championship? That's the thing. Like, yeah, of
0: course. Absolutely, I would. I, you know, I,
3: I, well, I didn't mean to suggest, by the way, the team couldn't get better. Right. Sorry about that. I, I think Ryan Anderson is a huge problem. Fine. But, um, but
0: you didn't suffer through uh, three years of Terrence Jones.
3: I've, I'm a Knicks fan. Well, you suffered through a lot. I'm, yeah. Not,
0: yeah. I'm not taking that away from you. And a, and a Jets yeah. fan. I yeah. think he just, like, one-upped us <laughs>
3: <laughs> a little bit. So, anyway. Um, brag. No, but they could. <laughs> yeah, what's the opposite of a humble brag, yeah. right? <laughs> you should brag, yeah. Yeah. What? Well, um, no, they get they get better in this regard. You know, you brought up uh, chemistry, right? Now, they actually have an awesome locker room culture this year. Uh, I've spoken to a few people around the team that talk about how much happier Harden is, yeah, you know, with Dwight gone and all this other stuff. But um, they actually—I th- I don't know, Austin—you may have said something along those lines. They could score more, so. They're actually only maybe seventh in the NBA in pace or something like that. Mm-hmm. And They were
0: 16th, actually, not too. I think four games ago I was reading. They were, so they've improved. Okay, it's a small sample size. Right, right. But, but that's
3: saying, what I'm saying. Is
0: like, that has been a, a, po- a point of contention, a focus of improvement. They have
3: actually uh, moved up from 16th to 17th. But just, just imagine, you know, um, let's say in a month or two months, like just how much more of these players are going to know each other, right? right. And by that, yeah. I don't necessarily mean they're going to be best friends. I mean, you're going to know even more so where guys want to be on the court, right? What type of plays everybody succeeds in, so they actually could score more. Harden could score more. It's mm-hmm. it's really awesome.
2: Um, That's also one of the things that scares me about Golden State. You know, Kevin Durant. He's only been with the team for less than ten games, and you know, once he starts to mesh with you know Curry. At, all
3: right. Well, now, but now me. we're just like right, parroting. Right. We're, but, now, but we're, now we're what back everybody will say about the Warriors. Yeah, it's a very controversial take you have, awesome. The <laughs> <laughs> Warriors are really hey, good. At I'm basketball. all about but hot that- takes,
2: so you're welcome, America.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: that was ice cold. That was stale. Hey, it's winter, come on. The the one point I was gonna add to this idea of chemistry is here's something that fans can watch at home. Um, Harden has really, he has a very stylish kind of pass that's really effective, which is, so he'll get a guy on his hip, right, sort of to initiate penetration in the middle of the the paint. He'll get to the rim, and he does these awesome, beautiful hook passes. Mm -hmm. Basically, he whips the ball around his side or his rib cage at high velocity, to a shooter somewhere in the three. And not only is it like a really tough play to pull off, it's very LeBron-esque, but that's a good sign of the kind of chemistry that they've coordinated. It's the idea that, you know, James already knows, basically before he's taken those final two steps, that okay, I've got Ryan in this part of the three-point line. I've got Corey Brewer because you know, open because I just attracted his defender to come guard me, right?
0: God knows he needs to be open.
3: <laughs> but <laughs> but what I'm saying is that that's probably gonna get better. It's very similar to how a quarterback tosses a ball pretty deep in front of a receiver. You already know where the guy is going to be. So just for anybody at home, it's a fun thing to watch with Harden this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think good passing is always fun to watch. Sorry, And, you know, I love watching good
2: passing, uh, especially on the gridiron. And Segway! Yes. You see what we did there. Uh, that, that was beautiful, folks. But, uh, you know, Saturday, college football. I mean, insane. Upsets galore. Number two team loss, number three team loss, number four team loss. Uh, the new coaches poll just came out uh, while we were actually recording. Uh, Alabama, number one team, no shocker. Ohio State moves up uh, to number two in the country. Louisville, who actually plays U of H on yes. Thursday night, uh, they are ranked number three in the country. So big opportunity for Tom Herman and uh, you know Greg Ward Jr. Michigan checks in at number four. Clemson rounds out the top five, checking in at number five. But uh, kind of two teams of note. Oklahoma ranks number eight. West Virginia ranks number nine. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, shakeup on Tuesday when the College Football Playoff Committee releases their polls. But is the Big
4: 12 completely dead? I think so. I, I think that the Big 12's played out. This year, uh, unless something miraculous happens and the top five go down like all at the same time, or the top four, I, I just don't see the Big Twelve getting in.
2: Can we just go ahead and give the national championship right now to Alabama? Is that is that possible?
4: Anyone? I mean, I'd like to see it play out, but
3: <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
2: <laughs>
0: just selfishly, I'd like to see the football game played, but you might
3: as well. No, I, all right, I'm the least knowledgeable of college football in this room for sure, but. Um, to use a disgusting platitude, no God. anything can happen in that game right <laughs> well didn't Alabama was favored in was it against Oregon what was the game there was a there was a wasn't there a recent national championship in which Oregon, Alabama was heavily favored and they lost Ohio State excuse me Ohio state semifinals I mean, yeah
2: all right so all right. no it's, it's anything can it's, it's happen in this true. stupid sport, especially especially <laughs> in college football when you have a month to prepare between uh, you know your conference championship game and the bowl games um, you know there's a lot of different schemes. Uh, that you can adjust. Uh, can I can I ask? Okay, yeah, sure.
3: I, I openly am not a big fan of college football. Everybody just unsubscribe from the podcast. Um, <laughs> Three of us. Can are, somebody uh, explain to me? Is Alabama actually better than these other teams? I don't. I, I don't really comprehend it because every year they seem to be very good. Everybody says how great their defense is. I think uh, their defense is phenomenal. I think part of the problem
2: is they don't face these any high powered offense that they face in college football, such as Ole Miss. They struggle with. This year, they were down 21 points against Ole Miss, and then Ole Miss, you know, uh, did what they did and blew the game. Uh, You know, they struggled a little bit defensively with Texas A&M, you know, before Trevor Knight went down. So I think, uh, historically, teams that have speed, that spread the ball out, Alabama struggles with. Ohio State, a few years ago, they had, you know, equal-type athletes. They were on a spread power, power power-spread offense, and uh, Alabama lost as a result. So... You don't see those type of offenses all the time. You see more of those pound it and, you know, run north and south, you know, such as a team like uh, LSU who's going to do with Leonard Fournette or Arkansas, who's got, you know, 300 pounders all across the offensive line. They're going to pound the rock all the time. Bama can stop that. I don't know that they can stop anyone with a good quarterback. And we don't have good quarterback play in the SEC.
4: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think of uh, the Sugar Bowl here a couple of years ago when Oklahoma, you know, vastly underrated a team knocked off Alabama and Bob Stoops like sat there in the postgame press conference like, see what I did? I mean, he's just, you know, any kind of spread offense that has any Such sort of... Such a good impersonation there. I know, Not like you right? in in room Bob Stoops' was a impersonation yeah. again? Flawless. See what I did? <laughs> I, I,
2: honestly, I think your Stoops impression was better than his McConaughey impression. <laughs>
4: that is dirty, man. I to look
1: displeased.
4: Big game Bob never disappoints. But one thing that Oklahoma does and one thing that Alabama does is they have the winning team syndrome where they go into these games against these underrated opponents running spread offenses and they blow it big time. And that's what Oklahoma did against U of H earlier this year.
3: So then who, So then to you guys who are the best two teams in the country right now? Who do you think most likely is going to win the national championship if and I ask that again, not only because I don't know much about college football, but because I just can't figure out how anybody can smartly predict this stuff well we can because if you listen back to our first uh
2: college football preview of this season uh I'm, I'm pretty sure we were all grossly wrong when it came to our college football predictions i believe the only team that i have left um is clemson with a fighting chance i had lsu uh being the, the winner of the sec that that's way off they fired their coach uh, i picked <laughs> i picked wesley in college so <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know I, I think that just goes to show you that college football is so unpredictable uh penn state which currently is ranked number 10 in the coaches poll Controls their own destiny in the Big Ten East. Uh, you know, so they have Ohio State and Michigan both ranked ahead of them. But if they win out, they're going to play for the Big Ten championship. And then, sorry, which team? Penn State. Penn State. Okay. Yeah, so they control their own destiny. They could potentially play for the Big Ten title. then what happens is the college football committee leave them out even though you know they they won the championship and ohio state didn't even make it to the championship games there's a lot that's going to happen here in the next few weeks but uh one thing that is always going to be constant is our terrible 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 predictions and for that we apologize to uh texas a&m fans actually we don't apologize you know we're none of us are really a&m fans but a few weeks ago we had sam con jr on the podcast and a and M lost two straight games that they were heavy favorites. Um their quarterback went out with a season long season ending and I guess career ending injury. And Kevin, are we to blame for that? Because, you know, We spoke so highly of A&M. Well, I don't know if we're to blame for it if we had an active participation in it, but we do have a terrible track record
0: looking back. I mean, it's astonishing whenever you ask me to pick anything uh, how how often I'm wrong and how often I'm spectacularly wrong. And sure enough, you know, we did say A&M sunk into the polls. The fourth team. Let's have Sam Conn on. We'll talk about AM. And it was uh it was just a disaster. Unmitigated from just the second we talked to him. They lost the first game. They lost the second game. The, oh, injuries. It's been it's been brutal. So yeah, I I would honestly, if I were affiliated with a program and I were looking to have any amount of success, I wouldn't talk to us. I wouldn't <laughs> say a word to us. Now, I won't say that to them when I go call them and try to get them on the phone because we want to have good interviews. But, yeah, I would say that if I were superstitious, I would
4: stay the hell away from this program. Kevin, no, no. Actually, I wanted to point out uh, that your predictions have a predictive effect in the opposite direction. Yeah. So whatever Kevin picks, whether the election, college football, whatever, it's going to go in the opposite direction. So or
2: not. Y- can you give us some sort of insight on whether or not Trump
3: will make it to January 20th? And please tell me that I that I'm not going to be single so much longer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine that you will. Honestly, if you want my honest opinion, I think that you're going to be married within what four weeks, I think, probably. That seems reasonable to me. Just given your credentials. Are you going to Vegas? You You are going to be
4: forever alone.
0: That was rude. (laughs) (laughs)
5: No, because
0: he just predicted you be married in four weeks. Jeez. I would love to sit in a session with you sometime, Jeremy. I think that would be really, <laughs> Honestly, really I, I observed a session
4: between you two. It was, it was like a little couple. Was People pay yeah. you to abuse them, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah a little bit. Yeah. He is a dominator to it's, this it, it, It's part of the technique, yeah.
2: All right, so anyways, we hope you enjoy that little uh, segment on uh, the Rockets, NBA, James Harden and uh, college football. But, uh, you know, a lot of exciting times here in the city of Houston uh, Thursday night, specifically at TDECU uh, Stadium as U of H takes on Louisville. And I think we're all pulling for the coup so we can have a little bit more mayhem in the college football rankings.
4: Closing time. So,
2: again, this has been episode 68 of the Weekly Brew podcast. And uh, we had some uh, interesting talk on the election. And thanks to everyone that uh, participated, I guess everyone that spoke to me while I was in Chicago this past week. Uh, we appreciate your takes on uh, what is going on with this country. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it's not doom and gloom as we all suspect, but yeah, I think it's probably going to be more doom and gloom. But, uh, Kevin, you've been busy this week covering high school football, the playoffs, and also volleyball. Uh, you know, any big storylines heading into week two of the playoffs?
0: Boy, uh, I watched the most boring game I've ever seen in my entire life uh, between Spring and Klein, which is just defensive battle, not interesting. So not all playoffs are great. It's starting to get to the point where it will be great. Cypher and, and Lamar uh, played probably one of the premier games in the city. I was not allowed to attend it. Because Adam Coleman, who's been a guest on the show many times, good buddy of mine, I love Adam, he's a great guy, but he was at that game and precluded me from being able to go, so I didn't get to write the story on that. So I'm very bitter Why? about
3: that. Why? did he preclude you from going to the game?
0: Well, because we both work for the same company, so we don't need to have two articles on the same game. They put me at another game in order to have more. It makes total sense. All the sense in the world. I Sorry. get it. I was no asking just to make sure there's
3: somebody I had to take care of.
2: Yeah, uh, okay. Well, speaking of taking care of things, uh, what do you have coming up on the Chronicle
3: this week? So probably Friday, I have a very big story coming out about how um, black coaches just get very few jobs as head coaches in college football. For years, uh, it's been an issue that's been drummed, but the unique circumstance is that this season in the state of Texas, there are now four black head coaches at FBS schools. So it was an opportunity for me to basically speak to all of those guys, as well as some really influential uh, black coaches that are out of the game. Tony Dungy. Lovey Smith, Ty Willingham, and it's a really candid look at you know, why it is, why it is that you know, these black coaches don't get their fair shake.
2: Yeah, it I, should, should be pretty interesting to read. I can't wait to read that when it comes out on cron.com. Uh, make sure to follow Hunter's uh, Twitter page as well. He'll be tweeting out uh, all links for that as well. Yeah, as you say, I'm absolutely thrilled about that article. It sounds fascinating. I've been heard you talk about it for like two weeks now, so I cannot wait.
0: And we will discuss it. I'm going to read it. We're all going to read it. We're going to parse it. Uh, you know, I get as deep into it as we possibly can, and it's going to be a topic of discussion on this show because I think it's an important issue.
3: No, it's, it's it's really nice of you guys. I'll have at least three readers then. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. we guarantee no, that it, much. And, and so, just if anybody, your parents not reading or no, oh, my parents can't read. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. I shouldn't have
2: assumed. Wow, that, that's that's incredible. Yeah, wait, does I, that mean they I know? I, I, wait, I, I does that mean they voted for Trump? Ah, <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh, cheap shot. All right, yeah, no, I'll I'll definitely read it and make the comment section interesting. I'll like make create five different accounts and create this awesome dialogue. Well, oh, on, hold on. I asked you voters. to
2: post a interview with Terrence Gannaway on BaylorFans.com and you can't even do that. Yeah, I absolutely did. I looked for it and couldn't find it. It is there. I'll so, send so you the link right you now. So you're were going to send five different fake accounts for Hunter.
3: Jeremy, do you know what the internet is? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? But with the, the inner what? So if anybody actually wants to see any of my work, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at hunter atkins thirty five. That's my full name plus number thirty five. Um, and you know, I just have one correction, which is that the story actually probably is not going to be on Kron.com dot yeah. com. What we do here at the Houston Chronicle is there's a site that is for free, Kron.com dot com, that has a scant amount of work, but the full amount of work is on HoustonChronicle.com That does require a paywall. However, if you follow me on Twitter. You can get the links for free mm-hmm. through my page, so it's another reason to uh, to follow me online.
2: And yes. plus, it's ten bucks a month to subscribe to the Chronicle on digital. I have a subscription, so uh,
3: I actually have to pay. Do you have to pay? I do have to pay. That's insane, yeah. isn't it? It's crazy. No, it's okay. My... It's First a of all, weird. It's a no, I support the product. Sure, like, I'm happy to pay ten dollars a month. Off. At the same time, I'm not. I also get that people, for whatever reason, they are very intimidated by putting their credit card information online and all that stuff. So it's fine for free. Follow me on Twitter. You can get the link and read all the stuff in a few minutes and enjoy it. Completely free of charge. So make sure to
2: follow him on Twitter. Also, you can follow Kevin at K Michael Cook for
3: uh, Texas high school football coverage,
2: uh, especially uh, what is it, District 18-6A or is it seventeen seventy six
0: eight. But but especially now we're getting into the NBA season. I'm having a little more spare time as these teams start to get knocked out of the playoffs. That'll be the thrust of my uh, tweeting for the next uh, I don't know six to seven months probably. And then you can follow Jeremy as well if you want.
4: Yeah, send election you can follow him my way I was at the Esteban
3: like oh eight. I was like, they could follow you back to your apartment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's how they could follow you. <laughs> Yeah, and if, if you are interested in following me, you can just search A. Staten uh, thanks. We Sorry, one your hand? last plug, I raising apologize. Your hand? Yes, I was
3: raising my hand. One okay. last plug okay. is that I mentioned it last week. The Houston Chronicle every Sunday night does a sports show. Mm-hmm. It's called Texas Sports Nation. It'll usually air between eleven thirty PM and twelve thirty AM. Okay. Prime time. <laughs> it's basically look after the Sunday night football game on after the Sunday <laughs> night football game at NBC. After local news, after a local sports show, then is our sports show. And not only... Look, the reason to watch it is because presumably you've seen all the games, all the highlights that day, but you get... You know, much more poignant, interesting analysis from the reporters that cover that stuff intimately, including myself. Although oftentimes I'm brought on completely as a gag act, but yeah, still, I've noticed that.
0: But also, a lot of people that have been guests on this show, people with really interesting takes, that's why we've had them here. They're also featured there on that. So I've enjoyed it. I've seen uh, never a full episode. I'll be totally honest. I've seen the clips that people tweet out about. You just it, go but to I have... my segment. I yeah. <laughs> well, no, not just. I've seen other segments as well. But it is a great show, and I totally recommend that
2: everybody watch it and support the Chronicle in a variety of ways. Pay pay that ten dollars a month. Make sure that you check. You know, Hunter out on uh, Twitter and he'll give you all those pertinent links. But, uh, you know, we thank all of our listeners this week for uh, joining us. Also, thanks to uh, Karen for, you know, the, the, the beautiful donation that has allowed us to have uh, quality audio equipment. And we hope that uh, you can hear a noticeable difference in the uh, quality of audio that you're hearing from uh, the We Desert Studio uh, today. And uh you know, thanks again to all of those that have supported the podcast and we hope to uh you know make you proud as we move forward and uh you know make this podcast bigger and greater. But uh just one final reminder, if you want to follow us on social media, just search weekly brewcast. You can also look to weeklybrewcast.com uh, You know, we post new content there each Monday And uh, as always, you can go to iTunes And leave us an iTunes review uh, Give us some feedback, give us some commentary And uh, Kevin is actually waving his hand I think he's excited, we just got to uh, number 60
0: I was I was really, I was flagging you down there I didn't want you to blow past this Because we had a review this week I've told you guys for months how important these reviews are And 60 of you have listened uh, 59 of you have listened in a positive way Giving us a 5 star review uh, We did have a new one, it says, uh I don't know how to read it. Grewworth? Grewworth? Grewworth downloading. It's got a GRE in front of worth downloading there. Fun Energy and Great Guests, five stars by HHA Diet. This is November 8th, 2016. A must for Houston sports fans. Now, we've, we've read reviews before on the show that are, uh, that are longer. Maybe I would say even a little more thoughtful than that before. That is still a perfect review. It's still five stars with a blurb. It still shows up on the page. It's fantastic in every way. And this week, our favorite listeners, whoever the hell is HHA Diet, you're our favorite. So congratulations. You guys should go to iTunes, go to the ratings and reviews tab, and leave us uh, a five-star review. If you're doing it on your cell phone, that little magnifying glass to the far right of your podcast screen, search for the Weekly Brew, and you can get to ratings and reviews through there. Leave us a review because it's very important. I cannot overemphasize it. HHA Diet, you are the man and or woman this
2: week. And Kevin's favorite listener of the week so shout out to whoever that person is and uh you know keep on going to itunes and uh giving us feedback there we definitely want to uh hear it but uh, thanks again to ross villarreal for joining us on the weekly brew podcast this week thanks again to karen for uh helping us out with the new studio here and uh for my co-hosts this week kevin cook jim Paxson, and hunter Atkins. my name is austin staten we'll see you next week
0: and guys please remember no matter who you are where you go or what you do this week always always grow responsible. You've been
8: listening to the Weekly Brew.